What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Welcome to Creature Feature, a production of iHeartRadio, the show where we get a big bowl of animal brains, a cup of human brains, blend them together, bake them at 425 degrees for half an hour, and voila! I'm your host of Mini Parasites, Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and I ate raw snails when I was a toddler. This is true. Today on the show, we're talking weird diets. Animals eating other animals eating other animals. Humans eating, well, some pretty freaky things. Discover this and more as we answer the age-old question, is cannibalism good for you? Diets across the animal kingdom can be fascinating, and who better to speak to this than Charles Darwin, father of evolutionary theory, who decided during the long, arduous trip aboard the Beagle that moldy bread just wouldn't cut it. So he sampled some of his animal specimens. Darwin had actually been a member of the Glutton Club at Cambridge University before making his famous discoveries. So perhaps it's less surprising that he used his adventures as an excuse to eat giant tortoises, iguanas, armadillos, puma, and agouti, which is a giant squirrel-like rodent. And he even accidentally ate part of a lesser rhea, a bird he'd been trying to collect a scientific specimen of for several months. So what better way to celebrate evolutionary biology than to take a gustatory trip through the animal and human world. Joining me today is Catherine Spires, food writer and host of the podcast Smart Mouth. Hi. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you. I'm excited to talk about this stuff. Yeah. So your podcast explores culinary things. We do a lot of food history. I have a guest on and I ask him ahead of time, what's your favorite food or whatever? And then I research the heck out of it. And I'm like, did you know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, I, I'm glad that you are into food because this is going to be a pretty, uh, it'll, it'll be a wild ride. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. Uh, I wanted to start out, uh, I got a listener question um, that I think really is very suitable for this topic. Uh-huh. Um, Amy B. asks, a creature I like a lot is the axolotl. Nice, nice one, Amy. <laughs> and I was wondering what strange incidents and or weird and wacky facts are associated with these little cuties. Um, so 
Uh, yeah, there's a wacky fact that I know about axolotls, uh-huh. which is that they will only grow up into adults when they eat each other. Oh, so not a lot of them grow up into adults? No, they don't actually. So uh, axolotls, a little background, they're a critically endangered species of salamander. Uh, they're related to tiger salamanders. They live in Mexico. They're also known as the Mexican walking fish. They're not a fish. They're an amphibian. Um, they have four underdeveloped limbs and lidless eyes. Oh, boy. I'm already painting a nice picture of yeah. these guys. Um, they also have these those like fluffy, feathery sideburns. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are actually external gill stalks, and that's how they breathe underwater. Oh my gosh! So they can even regenerate uh, their body parts, even parts of their brains. Whoa! Yeah, so they're pretty cool already, and their method of eating is like Kirby-style vacuuming in food. Okay. The reason only some of them grow to adulthood mm-hmm. is that they're. Uh, neotenic, meaning that they reach sexual maturity in their juvenile uh, aquatic form. So they never actually undergo metamorphosis to their adult terrestrial form in most cases. Oh, wow. So is this a rare occasion where the fact that they're almost in- extinct is their fault? <laughs> they eat each other? No, no. Oh, okay. they, they, it's actually because of the uh, urban sprawl of Mexico City that's threatening their environment. Do they eat other things besides each yes, other? Yes, yes. Okay. So they eat like insects, worms, small fish. They're, they're carnivores. Mm-hmm. Most of the time they don't actually uh, become cannibals, but... Uh, if they do, they will actually that will trigger their metamorphosis into adulthood. Wow. Um, so the biological reason axolotls don't go through metamorphosis is that they lack thyroid stimulating hormone. Remaining in that juvenile form is actually a survival mechanism in environments that lack adequate nutrition for their larger adult form. Okay. Um, and especially things like iodine, which they need in their diet, and, and they can't necessarily get enough of. Um, But if they start to get enough nutrition, like enough iodine, which they get by eating other uh, axolotls, this will actually trigger their body to start metamorphosis. So if they cannibalize enough other axolotls, they will turn into larger terrestrial adults. Uh, You can even artificially induce this by giving them iodine or thyroid-stimulating hormone injections. And it, like, makes them crazy for more? Uh, no, no, they'll just, like, that'll oh, turn oh. that, make them, uh, <laughs> that'll give them a thirst for blood. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, no, they'll, they'll transform into a, um, a terrestrial one. And actually, a lot of people keep axolotls as pets. And, mm-hmm. I, and I saw these axolotl uh, uh, owner forums where they're like, oh, what to do if your axolotl, like, metamorphosizes into an adult? Oh my gosh! Um, because they can't, you can't keep it in a in a fish tank anymore because they will need to breathe air. Like that, they'll grow lungs and they it like a frog, you know. Yeah. That goes from tadpole, which is fully aquatic, to being um, terrestrial, and then it can't breathe underwater anymore. Is it an okay idea to keep one of them as a pet? Yeah, I mean it's okay. I think that if they're bred, you know, I don't know too much about like the. Um, ecological impacts mm-hmm. of owning them as pets. Um, if they're bred in captivity, I think that's probably okay. But like, obviously, the pet trade could present a problem. Right. Uh, I think the bigger problem for them is just the the urban sprawl mm-hmm. um, and the the um, sort of human impact on their environment. But I, I I don't think, as far as like exotic pets go, I don't think it's too much of a problem. As long as you don't, you know, there are a lot of rules for having exotic pets. You don't want to, like, 
introduce them to wherever you live. You know, you don't want to like dump them off in a lake or anything mm -hmm. like that or flush them down the toilet <laughs> because uh, you can uh, really screw up with the ecosystems in your, your own area yeah. when you introduce species that are not from there. So. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think it's mostly okay um, <laughs> as long as they're not uh, being gotten from the illegal pet trade. Right, as long as. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of uh, aquatic, creepy aquatic animals, Greenland sharks uh, will eat entire polar bears. Wow. I, I didn't really think there was anything that would eat polar bear, but Greenland sharks are huge. So they live near well, Greenland and no Iceland. Um, they grow up to 25 feet long, and they can weigh over 2,000 pounds. That's too many pounds. <laughs> That's a few too many. And it's a species of sleeper shark. Uh, these are sharks that live at great depths, and they move really slowly and sluggishly. Mm -hmm. they're, they're just kind of they're freaky in that they just seem ancient, like these ancient callbacks to dinosaur times can i tell you the animal i'm most afraid of sure go for it whales really you wouldn't like this no uh, it's kind of like it looks it looks like a, a whale mixed with a shark yeah that's terrifying yeah. to me <laughs> and it's deep deep underwater right why are you afraid of whales just because of how big they are yeah they're too big yeah i think that's like part of the like the th thalassophobia thing where it's like you're afraid of like big things in the depths of the ocean that's interesting i mean i definitely curl my toes a lot when i'm swimming so that the <laughs> monsters won't get right. them right. <laughs> greenland sharks actually literally are ancient because they have a lifespan of up to 500 years holy cow yeah and specimens that are sometimes cut and it's hard to actually encounter like specimens especially like live specimens um, mm -hmm. because of the depths at which they live when they actually date the the bodies of these Greenland sharks, like they live hundreds of years old. That's crazy. I'd never even heard of these. Yeah, it's I mean, it is interesting, like some of the most incredible animals that seem it's just like they seem like fantasy creatures mm -hmm. and they just aren't, I guess, because they're not cute and cuddly, right. like we don't hear about them. And they're uh -huh. also not they don't kill people generally. So mm -hmm. they also don't have the pull of the like, you know, tabloid headlines. Right. Um, they're probably ambush predators, so they just move so slowly and quietly. They like look like part of the environment mm -hmm. until they're right behind you, and it's too late because they're not very fast. They, yeah. they don't just like cruise around like you know. You see great whites and other sharks, and they're mm -hmm. not like zooming around like a cheetah, but they're fairly fast and active and and vicious. Mm -hmm. um, so that's how they get the polar bears is just sneaking up on them. Well, it's I'm not sure exactly. I don't think they've ever been observed hunting polar bears. Most likely they just suck up these rotting carcasses of polar bears. Oh, interesting. So a polar bear dies, falls into the water, and these Greenland sharks just like vacuum this entire dead polar bear. Wow. They've also been found in their, and the only reason we know this is like when we catch uh, uh, them and they're dead and uh, researchers look inside their stomachs and mm -hmm. they found uh, rotting horses, moose, seals. They even found an entire reindeer carcass. Whoa. Um, How'd they get a horse? <laughs> <laughs> I See, that's what makes me think that these must have fallen into the ocean somehow. Yeah, I'm still I, not I don't... clear on how a horse fell in the ocean, but <laughs> things happen. <laughs> it, was, uh, it, was, it was on a cruise, on a Disney cruise. There we go. There it is. <laughs> because they do, they do scavenge for food as mm -hmm. well. So they're, they're predators and scavengers. Um, they kind of remind me of coyotes. 
everything you're describing about yeah. them. The coyote once almost got my dog by sneaking up. Yeah, yeah. She was on a leash. I was walking her. Yeah. And the coyote almost Very got sneaky. her. Very sneaky. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're kind of like that, but huge. Right, right, right. And so ancient. Even more terrifying. And undying. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they're an apex predator, uh, meaning like they don't have any natural predators, mm-hmm. except, you know, humans. Of so, course. There is a bit of a cosmic irony here because, like, the Greenland sharks like to eat these, like, dead, rotting animals. Mm-hmm. And we return the favor, at least in Iceland. Uh, there's an Icelandic dish, and my apologies uh, for this whole episode, just accept my apology for the pronunciation things with these <laughs> uh, food items. Um, so it's called, I think, hakarl, which is made of rotting Greenland shark meat. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> This is a pretty incredible dish. Uh, the raw Greenland shark is actually poisonous due to the large amounts of urea and trimethylene uh, inoxide. Trimethylamine? Trimethylamine. Oh, my goodness. Trimethylamine <laughs> inoxide in their flesh. Um, by fermenting the shark meat, it's rendered edible, I guess. It's not right. e- edible in the strictest sense. That it won't <laughs> kill you anymore. Right. So... Uh, traditionally, hakarl is made by placing the shark body in a shallow, sandy grave, then burying it in sand and gravel. Then heavy stones are placed on top to put pressure on the shark, mm-hmm. and also, I guess, to keep the zombie shark from rising, I of would course. assume. Yeah. No, that's not actually, like, part of the... No, but the, it makes sense. But to me, th- <laughs> if I was, like, burying this, like, giant ancient shark that eats polar bears, I'd be definitely be sure to put some heavy rocks on its grave. Yeah. Um, and then it's left to ferment for, oh, you know, 12 weeks uh, uh-huh. in the ground. Um, then it's cut into strips and hung to dry in a meat drying uh, house. Um, it's no longer really made this way for uh, mass consumption in Iceland. Uh, it's instead made by putting, like, squeezing it in a plastic container. Um, but, you know, for sort of more, like, cultural reasons, sometimes it's still made traditionally, especially, like, as a thing to show people who are visiting. Mm-hmm. It apparently has an extremely strong ammonia flavor. No kidding. Um, uh, because, you know, like, it's, even though the, the fermentation process does uh, make the those toxic uh, urea, like, not as harmful, mm-hmm. it's still, like, pretty... <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, you know, I, I'm, I've never had it, so I'm not going to say, oh, this is not a good dish. Mm-hmm. I would say because I've not been acclimated to eating any kind of meat like this, I would probably struggle yeah. <laughs> with it. Um, Some things really, truly are acquired taste. Yes. I do have the opinions of Anthony Bourdain and Gordon Ramsay here. Uh-huh. Um, uh, so Anthony Bourdain said it was the, quote, single worst, most disgusting and terrible tasting thing, which I think is a pretty harsh thing. I don't I don't think he's ever eaten like when I was in college I used to make myself macaroni and cheese and then from the box like the craft uh-huh. and then I'd put it in the fridge like the little mini fridge and uh-huh. it'd just sit there and dry out and then like a day later I'd be like huh I still have some macaroni and cheese left and it'd be this like mummified mac and cheese fl- you know just congealed that milky or bright orange toxic stuff yeah. so I feel like that would be the worst thing I can see that no, no, I would still think that the fermented shark <laughs> the fermented would be worse. Shark. Yeah, Gordon Ramsay couldn't even like eat it. He tried to eat it and he couldn't. Yeah, because Anthony Bourdain was much braver. Yeah, than I mean Gordon, Gordon Ramsay hoped to be such a weenie. <laughs> Calling you out, Ramsay. <laughs> so uh, another weird. So this is something that the Vikings were thought to have eaten mm-hmm. as well. 
Um, another weird thing that the Vikings ate, again, not going to pronounce this good, uh, Surir Hutzbrungar. That sounds yeah. right to me. Yeah, sure. Let's pretend it is. Yeah. It's soured pickled ram's testicles. Okay. You know, yeah. that actually sounds a little, despite the fact that it's uh, ram's testicles, it sounds a little better to me than the shark. Right. When you get some pickling brine in there, that right, can do right. a lot of work. Right. Because you pickle it mm-hmm. um, and it, you know, sour, you know, that like I've, I've had like sour meat, sweet and sour meat. Like that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, of course. So, you know, uh, but of course I don't want to, I'm not, I don't want to drag uh, Iceland too much because they're not, this is not like, oh man, Iceland's so weird. They, they make weird dishes. Well, this they is, don't have a lot of produce. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, and the, also throughout human history, we've all like, Everyone in every culture, yes. nobody is immune. We all have made some freaky stuff. So yeah. um, here's, a, and I'm sure this this may be some stuff you're familiar with. Uh, here's some of the weirdest stuff that we've eaten throughout human history, at least in uh, uh, Europe. Uh-huh. I got some uh, of this research from the Fine Dining Lovers website, uh, the author Peter Basildon. So thank you. This is a truly disturbing thing that I read this article uh, that made me not want to eat ever again. So thank you, Peter. So in medieval Europe, um, the helmeted cock is a cooked chicken and pig where the chicken is made to ride the pig while wearing military regalia. Oh, uh, Here's a picture of it. Uh, I'll probably post that or post the link to that in the show notes. But it's that a- that looks like sort of the late renaissance period yeah when people got really weird about food yeah they were doing stuff like that to show off constantly yeah it's uh well like what else do you know um the idea of the turducken is supposed to yeah. come from there just putting things inside things yeah. inside things oh i've got i've got a good one for okay that. um another uh medieval europe one is the live frog pie it was a fad to surprise guests by sticking live animals in a pie empty pie crust and have them pop out when they cut into it is that a fun surprise? No. I wouldn't think so. I don't think it is. I mean, this is, you know, when is this medieval Europe? Is this like around the Black Death, maybe right after, right before? <laughs> Everyone had uh, a really dark sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so now moving on to the Tudors, uh, mm-hmm. which came a little later. I'm not a, I'm not a historian, but... Um, <laughs> So roasted swan, a dish where, and we don't really eat swan that much anymore. No, we it's don't. Not necessarily the best tasting bird, I don't think. Uh, it's also, it's probably not. And we raise so many chickens, we right, don't exactly. have to bother. The swan was redressed in its skin and feathers, so it looked like it did when it was alive. So yeah. it's like this dead swan, full of, full of roasted meat, just like with the swan skin. Mm-hmm. God, that's so horrible. It's dark. And when they could get their hands on a peacock, they would do that, too. Yeah, yeah. It was so much show. Yeah. Clearly, they didn't care what it tasted like. There was something, there's something so disturbing about that. Like, yeah, like, you know, so if you murder someone, that's pretty bad, right? right? That's, that's upsetting. Yes. If you murder someone, skin them and like jumble around their insides and then sew them back up. Yeah, you'll go to jail for longer if you do that. that. Yeah, right? Like the sentencing, mandatory yes. sentencing on jumbling people up and sewing them back up. Yeah. That's... There's something disturbing about, like, because then it's like, it's not just about the necessity of eating. It's about mm-hmm. mutilating the corpse of the animal mm-hmm. you're eating. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, the cockatrice, which is a suckling pig, and a suckling pig is like a baby pig, mm-hmm. uh, that's upper body was sewn onto the lower half of a capon, 
uh, castrated rooster. Um, which, you know, I mean, like, sure, like, turn your food into a Boschian nightmare. That's, That's exactly what they were doing. Right, right. right. Like, like, hey, what, wouldn't it be funny if a pig was sewn to a rooster and we ate it? <laughs> is this British, too? Uh, yes, this is the in, in Tudor. Uh, so that, too. Yeah. yeah, well, the Tudors were super into showing off. So yes. I guess this is how they did it. Yes. And it's weird if... They thought it was funny. British people became funny, but clearly weren't at that <laughs> Their time. Their sense of humor is a, I don't know. <laughs> it was not good then. <laughs> yeah, this researching this episode has made me want to swear off meat entirely forever. Absolutely. Like, I'm already, like, trying to cut back on it for mm-hmm. health and environmental reasons. Mm-hmm. But, like, I'm, I, like, see this and, like, maybe I'll just eat carrots for the rest of my life. Yeah. People aren't really sewing <laughs> carrots to Brussels no. sprouts or whatever. No. Although... <laughs> So the Elizabethans um, would do bone marrow on toast. And I've actually had this. Yep. And it's really good. It is. Um, that's And honestly, like, if, you know, if you're going to have bones anyway and you don't use them, that's a waste of animal. Agreed. So, like, you use, if you use er- everything, every part of the animal, which I think is probably good practice mm-hmm. if you're going to, you know, have meat. Putting bone marrow on toast is pretty pretty tasty. <laughs> yeah, it does taste good. People describe it in a way that either sounds really appetizing or off-putting, depending right. on your head. It's just meat butter. It is meat butter. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's kind of gelatinous, which yep. sounds gross, but it's it's like, and I, I'm very sensitive to texture okay. and stuff, and I can actually down this pretty pretty well. I have to spread it thin though. I don't like it too chunky. Yeah, it's uh, but then when it's thin, it melts just a teeny bit yeah, into yeah. the bread, and it's it, pretty nice. It does taste really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the Georgians did, uh, and this is kind of what you're talking about, like the turducken. It was the roti sans peril. Um, again, apologize for the French there. It's a French dish of seventeen birds stuffed inside each other. So. Uh, according to an article in Vice, uh, the recipe calls for a bustard stuffed with a turkey, stuffed with a goose, stuffed with a pheasant, stuffed with a chicken, stuffed with a duck, stuffed with a guinea fowl, stuffed with a teal, stuffed with a woodcock, stuffed with a partridge, stuffed with a plover, stuffed with a lapwing, stuffed with a quail, stuffed with a thrush, stuffed with a lark, stuffed with an ortolan, bunting, Stuffed with a garden warbler, stuffed with an olive, stuffed with an anchovy, stuffed with a single caper. Guys. Yeah. Stop it. That, first of all, that would be so frustrating to cook because it would take days and then it's gone in a minute. Yeah. I mean, and it's also, they cook at different rates. It's a nightmare. Yeah. That's so wasteful. Yeah. I mean, like (laughs) what? Like 17 different, more than 17 animals had to die to make that because they also like used... Like pig fat and uh-huh. all these other things, and, and on a bed of child bones. I don't know. And there's <laughs> no possible way. I'm going to say this without ever having it that it tasted very good. No, I, I imagine it wouldn't, because uh, you can't. There's no way. It's just too mushed together. Like it, it's, there's too much happening. No, 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 it's just complete insanity. Yes. Um. It's it's. I feel like we have this concept that serial killers only happen within modern society. I think they've always been around. It's just back back in these times, they were endorsed. 
their behavior was considered good and normal, and they got to be chefs and they got to be kings and queens. Wow! And they just got away. They're like, I'm gonna sew a pig to a duck and then stuff it inside an ostrich, and everyone's like, How droll! <laughs> yes, please. Wow, I like that theory. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. 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 Monsters. Ab- well, they were monsters. Yeah. <laughs> so now we know. Yeah. <laughs> Humans are clearly ridiculous omnivores, but in modern times, our diets can range from omnivorous, vegetarian, and vegan. But what about 100% carnivorous? Well, maybe, but you'd have to eat your meat completely raw. Around the turn of the century, Icelandic explorer Wilhelmer Stefansson traveled to Alaska, where the Inuit of the McKinsey Delta allowed him to live with them, and they taught him about their lifestyle. Stephenson became an advocate of their diet, which was 90% meat and fish for six to nine months of the year, an extreme ketogenic diet. But before you try it yourself, you should know that it would be difficult to replicate. They ate freshly hunted, sometimes raw meat, and caught fresh fish, which they also on occasion ate raw. And only by eating raw liver, fish roe, and eggs can you get the vitamin C you need to avoid scurvy. And if you try to eat only meat and do it incorrectly, you can die of malnutrition. Rabbit starvation is a form of starvation caused by eating primarily rabbit meat, which in more scientific terms is called protein poisoning. It's when there's not enough fat in the diet, so you will starve even if you continue eating. As Stephenson explained, quote, Rabbit eaters, if they have no fat from another source, beaver, moose, fish, will develop diarrhea in about a week with headache, lassitude, and vague discomfort. If there are enough rabbits, the people eat till their stomachs are distended, but no matter how much they eat, they feel unsatisfied. So don't go trying a meat-only diet at home, especially if all you've got to eat are some wascally wabbits. Hey, drop that fork. We'll be right back after a quick break. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. 
Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. What's food without a little seasoning? And the best seasoning in the world is salt. It's the magical mineral that makes food taste good. So why do we like salt? Well, we do need it to live. You can actually have too little salt in your system, which is a condition known as hypernatremia, which can cause brain swelling and even death. Fortunately, you don't really need to worry about this. Typically, we have too much salt in the diet, but for many animals, salt is so vital, they'll go to some interesting lengths to get it. What I want to talk about is uh, butterflies and bees who love salt, mm -hmm. and they will drink tears to get it. Oh, how do they get the tears? Well, uh, it depends. So uh, they will sometimes drink turtle tears in the Peruvian Amazon. So I just got so sad. <laughs> um, so in the Peruvian Amazon, butterflies drink turtle tears to supplement their diet with sodium. Butterflies need sodium, uh, like most living animals, but they can't get it from flowers, so they'll get it typically from dirt or poop, um, mm -hmm. where, where you normally get salt. <laughs> of course. <laughs> they can also get it from tears, uh, and what better than a turtle that can't retract its head, like the yellow-spotted side-neck turtles, wow. who their heads are just stuck out there. They can't hide in their little shell home. Uh -huh. uh, so the butterflies are free to sip at their tears. Uh, here's a picture and I, I do want to be clear that the turtle's not sad. Yeah, uh, can you tell me what would cause a turtle to cry? I mean, probably it's just the normal normal amount of tears in their okay. eyes. So I feel much better. Dryness. Yeah, it's not, it's not crying because it's sad. Same thing with crocodiles. So butterflies are sometimes seen drinking the tears of crocodiles, like the caiman in Costa Rica. Uh, here's, a, here's a bee and a butterfly uh drinking out of the crocodile's tears at the same time. That's amazing. I feel like I've seen pictures of this before and yeah. didn't even think that it might be a thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there are also tear-drinking moths in the Amazon jungle that drink uh, bird tears. Uh, and sometimes not. it's not even clear why they do this because there's like salt in their <laughs> environment already. So they just like to poke birds in the eyes and make them cry and drink their tears. Oh, so they're just like little stinkers. Yeah, they're little stinkers. And here's a picture of one just like sitting on top of a terrified looking bird's head. Yeah, that seems so rude. It's very rude. Humans are ruder. We're worse. Oh, of course. For those birds out there listening, uh, viewers, sensitive, listeners sensitive to matters of birds, uh, I'm going to warn you about this next one because oh, it's very sad. The Ortolan bunting. Uh, have you heard of this mm -hmm. dish? It's an upsetting, it's yes. an upsetting restaurant or recipe. Yeah. Um, so Ortolan bunting is a small, peaceful songbird that is apparently good tasting to some people after being brutally tortured. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, so in classic Middle French cuisine, uh, the Ortolan is placed in a darkened cage, which uh, causes it to become 
psychologically disturbed where it feeds compulsively. So in the wild, ortolans will gorge themselves at night. So mm -hmm. if you make it eternal night, they will just keep eating and eating, which is really disturbing. Yes, it is. In Roman times, emperors would stab out the eyes of the ortolans so they would compulsively eat any more, even more because like no light can enter their eyes. Oh my is, gosh, I didn't know that part. Yep, it's pretty. I mean, I don't know if that's true. That could be apocryphal, but I wouldn't put it past Romans. Romans were wild. Yeah. Caligula, he was a stinker. <laughs> um, so the bird is then drowned in brandy um, so that it is marinated and murdered at the same time. Wow. Um, and then it is roasted and eaten whole. Uh, traditionally, people would wear a large handkerchief over their heads to, quote, like, hide from God. That's right. It could also have been that sort of like the the superstition around them, but it's also could be to trap the odors from the dish. Okay. Uh, or to, if it's like, because these would be very wealthy people, it could also be to hide the fact that they're spitting out bird bones as they okay. eat. So that's, uh, I think it's illegal now. Um, it It is illegal. Yeah, yeah. But there's TV shows that will depict it yeah, as so, depictions of how wealthy people are. Right, They've right. done it both on Billions and Succession. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wonder if that's there's any truth to that. Like if wealthy people ha like have a uh, black market ortolan They're probably under the is. table. <laughs> Rich people love having everything. <laughs> there is a vegan version of ortolan. So these, what? these vegan sh chefs have created a um, ortolan bunting that's supposed to mimic the taste and texture of a, of a bird with bones in it um, made out of entirely vegan ingredients. It doesn't necessarily look exactly like a bird. It looks like one vaguely bird-shaped lump of weird ingredients. But they've put, like, other things to make it, like, they, they wanted to mimic the, the texture of, like, skin, guts, and bones. And it's, the thing is, one of the benefits, and I'm not vegan, mm -hmm. but one of the benefits I perceive of being vegan is you don't have the gross-out factor of eating another living creature. I know. So why would you want to this is, replicate it? Yeah, I don't understand fake meat replicating. Obviously, it's better. Obviously, it's better than torturing real bird, but, but, but why? why? <laughs> right, yeah. Why would you even want to have the pretend version? Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, a little bit of a less macabre uh, weird preparation of meat is uh, there's a farmer in Seattle that feeds his pigs marijuana. Oh, cool. Um, and so it's actually not as crazy and weird as it sounds. Okay. It's marijuana that has is not used in medical marijuana manufacturing. So instead of throwing out, like, the stalks and stuff, mm -hmm. he uh, takes it and, like, incorporates it into the pig slop. Apparently, that helps introduce fiber. It actually increases their appetite a little more, like, oh. naturally without using, like, hormones and such. Uh and um, it apparently affects the taste of the meat. Um, really? Makes the meat taste like more savory or something. Huh. I don't, I kind of, I'm not really, I'm not into it that much in terms of like, you know, I, I feel bad about eating pigs because they look like little doggies to me. Yeah, true. <laughs> but I feel like the least we can do is give them marijuana. <laughs> That's such a good point. Yes. The least we could do is to get, get them baked. Before yeah. they get baked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pre-baking. Pre-baking. Um, 
I mean, and it is interesting. He, he claims that the, the pigs don't necessarily get high, but he, he does say that they seem to enjoy it uh, a good amount. So I wonder. Yeah. There's just How like, do you know? We would never know. Right. Yeah. There's got to be like just trace amounts of probably THC and CBD. Yeah. He says that, that you can't get high from the meat. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but they're consuming trace amounts right, maybe. Right. So they've got to be... There's got to be some high pigs there. You cannot tell me that they're not going to get. Or at least super chill. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Man, I kind of, it's like, it's it's such a cute story until you're like, oh, and then (laughs) they're slaughtered. (laughs) Another, here's a less uh, dark story about seasoning food. Mm -hmm. Japanese macaques, which are also known as snow monkeys, uh, will wash their yams and potatoes in salt water. This uh, is exclusive to the Japanese island of Koshima. Uh, There's a colony of macaques who have learned how to salt their potatoes. Oh, my gosh. In 1953, a field macaque named Emo, which is potato in Japanese, uh, was observed by researchers washing sand off of the sweet potato in the river. Her family watched this and they copied her. And they learned from her, and then because normally, like if you got a sandy potato, they would just brush it off with their little mm-hmm. their little hands. Um, but washing in the river was much more effective. And then Emo uh, put a new spin on it, where she took it to the ocean, not the freshwater river, uh-huh. but the the ocean. Started washing it there, and she found that she preferred that to the river because of the saltiness. She she would even like dip it, take a bite dip it again Ew. so she was double dipping i love it um and her her cohorts her family uh-huh. uh also copied that and started doing the same behavior now even though i mean sadly emo and all the other original potato dippers have passed away <laughs> but this was in 1953 mm-hmm. so uh they lived nice long lives of uh potato dipping yeah um but the macaques living on koshima island still practice potato dipping and washing Oh my gosh! Um, so, she changed the game for them. Yeah, and I think and it's one of the examples that points to like, hey, you know, animals actually can have culture. Like mm-hmm. they can learn, especially the more intelligent animals, like primates, can learn certain elements of culture and pass things on and pass traditions on. Yeah, which is really incredible. Yeah, I'm getting more and more freaked out by the idea of keeping primates in zoos. Yeah, I feel like they're. Real similar to us. Yeah. I mean, some zoos, uh, you know, like there's a lot of conservation going yes. on. Um, so I feel like, especially like the San Diego Zoo, I know they go to great lengths to try to create these enclosures that are humane mm-hmm. and they go towards a lot of conservation efforts. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm definitely not comfortable with captive primates kept in suboptimal conditions yeah it's uh they're yeah they're very intelligent and speaking of which uh red colobus monkeys uh who live in human forests of western central and eastern africa use charcoal to neutralize toxins in their diet oh my gosh these are these are boss bays but they're living they're like instead of doing like you know haven't you seen those like like eat more charcoal to detoxify your system which Mm -hmm. I don't know about that, <laughs> but it works for these red colobus monkeys. So they love eating mango and Indian almond tree leaves uh, because they're high in protein. Unfortunately, these leaves are also high in phenols, which upset their nanotomies. They've learned to eat charcoal to detoxify the leaves. 
and it's highly sought after. Like they'll fight over the charcoal. They'll have like they'll gather huge amounts of it and carry it and like hoard it so they can eat their favorite leaves. Wow. Um, they'll even so they gather it mostly from burnt trees, but they'll even steal charcoal briquettes from humans when they have Good. the chance. <laughs> <laughs> Take that. Um, so it's yeah they and they'll like they'll eat the leaves and then eat the charcoal and they've just discovered that that helps. Uh, settle their stomachs. Wow. Do we know if the leaves taste like the fruit? The You mean like mango? Yeah. I have no idea. Mm. I don't know. I know that almonds have cyanide in them, so mm-hmm. it's possible the leaves also have some cyanide, oh, yeah. which is also um, a way that the, the charcoal could help, mm-hmm. help their tummies because, you know, I mean, if you consume small amounts of cyanide, you won't die, but right. it, it'll definitely make you sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, but don't do it. Like, don't. I'm not going to, you know, don't be like, oh, well, if I have a little bit, it's okay. Like, any amount, not bad news. <laughs> um, and speaking of neutralizing toxins, um, birds will eat dirt to do this. Okay. <laughs> Does it have to be any kind of dirt? It's a specific kind of dirt. So eating dirt is called geophagia. Lots of animals eat dirt, uh, birds, bats, and primates. Uh, this is often done to introduce minerals into their diet, such as calcium, sodium, iron, zinc, and so on. Mm-hmm. Sometimes pregnant women will crave dirt, uh, which could be uh, out of a desire to make up for mineral deficiency like anemia um, or potentially because certain types of clear dirt could help destroy pathogens in the gut. Oh. Um, uh, I don't recommend eating dirt mm-hmm. um, because you could just as easily introduce harmful pathogens and toxins like there's helminth parasitic worms whose eggs can survive in dirt for years. Um, and you can also get lead from from eating just random oh, dirt. Yikes. But when you're pregnant, things go crazy, right? I've heard yeah. red case studies of pregnant women actually buying salt licks like yeah. you would keep in a barn yeah. to consume on their own. Yeah. And like pica is the the term for eating things that are typically inedible mm-hmm. uh, and so yeah pregnant women will often have that because it's like it's, it's their their body is craving something and so they will eat things that aren't necessarily have any like eating ice is another one although oh. i do that and i'm not pregnant so <laughs> i don't know what what's up with that huh but for the Peruvian Amazon rainforest parrots, uh, dirt is a way to filter toxins out of their diet, and they're super, super picky about what dirt specifically they oh. eat. So they will flock to this one specific place near the Manu River and only one layer of soil along the bend. So you know how soil is in these sedimentary mm-hmm. layers. They, they pick this one band of soil and the reason the reason they do this is this soil layer has the highest cation exchange capacity. So this is some chemistry stuff. It's a little unfamiliar with me, for me, so bear <laughs> with me. Uh, so cations are positively charged ions. Um, most soil is negatively charged, um, so they will stick together, negative positive. Um, if soil has high cation exchange capacity, it can attract to and bind to more cations. Um, so the parrots eat seeds and unripe fruit that has alkaloids and toxins that are harmful, uh, and these these toxins will become positively charged inside the parrot's acidic stomach, some kind of chemical reaction there. And so if the clay that they eat has a high cation exchange capacity, it will bind to these now uh, positively charged toxins So the clay is negatively charged. The toxins are positively charged in their stomachs. They'll bind together, and that neutralizes the toxins. Uh, And then it allows the parrots to eat these foods that they love without getting sick. 
Those are some fancy parrots. They really are. And it's funny to, to see them because they're, they're all just kind of lined along this one band of this like dirt, this face of dirt along the river. Uh-huh. Uh, just all, all like diners. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they know exactly what they want. So uh, because we are talking about eating dirt, I got a little surprise for you. Oh, boy. Um, it is uh, dirt soda. Dirt soda. Uh, <laughs> uh, it says it's shoveled and bottled in the USA. I oh, don't, good. <laughs> I don't know. Now, the ingredients don't mention dirt. So the ingredients is carbonated artesian spring water, cane sugar, citric acid, artificial flavor, caramel color, ester gum, flash patch pasteurized as a natural preservative. So nowhere... Do they say it contains dirt? I'm sure that's the the natural flavor is whatever essence they right. Like, is it dirt essence? Probably. I don't like. I don't know if it's supposed to taste like dirt. If it's just like that, they didn't clean (laughs) the factories. So if you would mind, we're gonna do a little taste test here. Um, I'm down for it. Hang on. Wait. I hope this is a twist off. It might not be actually. I'm going to go get a bottle of water. (laughs) I'll probably cut out some of that, (laughs) of us struggling to open this bottle of dirt soda. Much anticipated dirt soda. I know. I hope it was worth the struggle. I mean, it's got to be such a big buildup. So it's kind of red. Yeah, it's got a nice amber color. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's for you. Thank you. Um. This is for me. A toast to dirt soda. Cheers. Yeah. I only felt the dirt at the very beginning. You know what it reminds me of? It's got a dirt bouquet. Yeah. But it's kind of cream soda-y. A little bit, yeah. Ooh, I don't care for the aftertaste. No, no. So it's like the taste on the tongue is actually no no dirt. But it's very dirt forward. Um, and it's like a dirt aftertaste. It's, yeah, I wouldn't say that it really approximates dirt. It's just a little no. gross. Yeah, it's kind of just nasty. Um, <laughs> I used to eat some dirt when I was a kid. Uh-huh. Uh, like, especially love, you know those like little fertilized white fertilizer pellets? Oh my gosh. Those are fun to crunch on. Are not, those good? No, well, not healthy for you. They're <laughs> bad to eat, but they were, I enjoyed it. Were you not allowed to eat junk food? Was it like your yeah. Cheetos substitute? Yeah, I... I <laughs> My my parents were very good at having us eat healthy. I could eat like goldfish crackers and stuff, but it, that was um, a treat for you. Yeah, <laughs> but um, you know, uh, I I would eat uh sn- raw snails when I was a baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would eat dirt. <laughs> Did you? So you were a baby. Yeah. You didn't have a sense that you were eating a live animal. No, I had no. I, I have no memory of it. My mom just tells me that Got I it. did. Got so, it. Uh, I, I do remember eating ants, and those were actually pretty good. They're kind of peppery tasting. Right, yeah. Not bad. This kind of almost smells like crayons. I can see that. Like dirty crayons. Yeah. Dirty crayons that Oof. like a smoker, You're. it's like, smells like you're in a smoker's car that's full of dirt crayons and sugar. So there's this... Um setup that people who are training to learn about wine can use Mm -hmm. where it's a set of like 80 different essences and so Mm -hmm. you learn how to identify the essences so you can describe the wine 
and 72 of those essences are delicious things. Mm -hmm. And then there's the eight that are gross that can help you describe like a corked bottle of wine. And this dirt soda is actually kind of reminding me of the Band-Aid essence. Oh, my God. Yeah. There's a Band-Aid essence Mm -hmm. with like... Well, so are these essences that help you identify bad wine or good and bad so most of them are for identifying good wine i see and then there's a couple that you're like oh no something has gone wrong (laughs) somebody (laughs) dropped a band-aid in the wine (laughs) it's something like if it's oxidized or something like that but that's what this i feel like they dropped essence of band-aid into this (laughs) god it's not good no it's not even good to drink ironically no the Mm -hmm. smell alone is very bad because like honestly dirt like the smell of wet dirt, like petrichor, is actually really nice. Yeah, it, it is. doesn't. This smells like like duty. Yeah, I met. I feel like dirt is maybe something that you can't synthesize or yeah. make synthetic. I should right, say. Right. Right. Um, this is just gross. This is just gross. In a way that, like you said, I don't think dirt is actually as right. gross. <laughs> so, rate if you're gonna give the dirt soda rating, uh, can we get get a rating there out of like let's do five stars. Half a star. Half a star. Mm-hmm. Um, just out of interest. I'll give it two stars. Oh, wow. Just because uh, of how difficult the bottle was to open, which I felt like was kind of a nice, it's like almost aposematism, like where it's like a warning sign <laughs> that you shouldn't drink it. So for that design <laughs> of it to be hard to open, I think two stars. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Why do humans use spices? Just because it tastes good? Well, researchers tried to answer this question. A scientific paper called Darwinian Gastronomy, Why We Use Spices by Sherman et al. found that spice use may be used potentially to protect us from microorganisms and food poisoning by borrowing the defensive weapons of plants from which spices are derived. But when we return, we'll find that there may be no spice antidote to certain dangerous diets. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more more info now. 
Oh, it's such a clutch pickup, Dave. I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. What, you fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. He scores. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Sometimes we go to great lengths for our meals, even putting ourselves in danger. The Heart Attack Grill in Las Vegas, which offers the octuple bypass hamburger, should give you an idea of how much we're willing to risk for our food. We're also willing to eat fugu fish, a type of puffer fish which, if prepared improperly, can be deadly, as it contains lethal amounts of tetrodotoxin in its inner organs. Both humans and dolphins risk death by eating wriggling octopus. Sanakji, a Korean dish, is made of freshly killed octopus. Some people think that they're still alive, as nerve activity continues to function within the tentacles, causing them to wriggle around. This presents a choking hazard. If not chewed properly, the suction cups can stick to your throat and actually kill you. Dolphins also risk being choked to death when eating octopus, and sometimes smash the octopus by tossing it around, tearing it to shreds to make it less dangerous. But sometimes you're not even out of the woods if you swallow your dinner. Kasu marzu is a classic Sardinian dish made of sheep milk cheese and live larvae of the cheese fly. This is meant to give the cheese a nice soft texture, but if the larvae survive the trip down your gullet, the worms can try to burrow through and eat your stomach lining, resulting in a condition called pseudomyasis, aka accidental parasitization. The common Asian toad has also suffered from uh, indigestion. The blind snake, a small worm-like snake, can survive being ingested and has been seen escaping alive out of the butt of a common Asian toad. Well, you just described all my worst nightmares. <laughs> That's all horrifying. That's what the podcast's about. <laughs> <laughs> it's bringing nightmares to the surface so you can, you know, not have them when you're sleeping, but when you're awake. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> I remember um, learning about uh, Kesu Marzu in like an anthropology class mm-hmm. where we were talking about, like, I, I don't, I, I think it's good to eat insects generally as part of our cuisine, and I'm... I, I haven't been socialized myself to eat insects, but I think it's a great uh, protein source. Yes. In this case, this no, is different. No, this is different. I don't know. For people who haven't eaten insects, it's not that weird. Right. And it's mostly crunchy. Right. It's like it's like eating popcorn, but legs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but this cheese maggot thing. Is, is, you can see them. They're still alive. Yes. You can. They like jump out of the cheese sometimes. I don't understand how this dish came about. Hmm accident i would assume yeah but why keep doing it mm. like why is it considered they some... liked it because it, t- it probably tastes good really if you can get over it yeah all right i don't know I i'll mean, never know i'm not gonna try it well no i mean i will i will try most insects mm-hmm. except for live 
insects, I think. I think that's Especially really fair. Especially mixed with cheese. It's, that almost makes it worse. It totally does. Yeah. <laughs> Humans will sometimes, well, as we already discussed, will Im- imperil themselves for food. Um, and one really amazing example of this is uh, Honey Hunters of Nepal. Uh, so there is a man named Mali Don, who is one of the last mad honey hunters of Nepal. And now it's not, he's not mad, but the honey is called mad honey. Okay. He's part of the Kulung indigenous people, uh, and they have been using uh, this this mad honey for centuries as because um, it, it has medicinal properties. It's mm-hmm. an antiseptic. It can be like a cough syrup, a, and honey has like this antibiotic um, yeah. property and uh, can actually help heal uh, your throat. But to get this, he will climb a 300-foot bamboo rope ladder up a sheer cliff face of granite above the Hongu River. Um, So he's after the red honey produced by Himalayan bees, which is called mad honey because it has psychotropic properties. Um, It it becomes psychotropic because bees feed on the flowers of of rhododendron trees, uh, which contain toxins. Okay. It can also be sold on the black market for like $80 a pound Oh, uh, because it's like you get high off the of honey. Yeah, it sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, it does sound fun. It doesn't sound fun to collect, though. No. So he has to hold on to the cliff face by hand with tiny footholds while carrying a huge bamboo pole that he uses to saw off sections of the honeycomb while he carries some burning grass to kind of try to soothe the bees, which are not happy and they still sting them. But if he flinches, like, he could fall to his death. Is he doing this for the potential money? Uh, it's partially that. Um, so it's it's partially just for survival, you know, to, to get the, the money. It's mm-hmm. also um, sort of part of this this tradition, and there's a deep spiritualness to it. Oh, okay. Um, so it's, it's, very, it's a very meaningful uh, thing. So it makes sense that... It's not, he's not just doing it to try to get high off the honey. <laughs> right. It's, it has, is of great cultural significance and it's very helpful for him and his family because mm-hmm. of the money. Um, especially when it's harder to get other sources of, of income. Right. He, it's just incredible. And I mean, he does have a helper like on the other side of the cliff. Okay. But from that side of the cliff, you can't reach the honeycomb. Or if you try to get it, like you could make the whole, whole honeycomb fall down, and they don't want that. Like wow. they, they really don't, and it's they do it in a way where they don't want to harm the bees. Mm-hmm. They don't want to like, you know, destroy the colony. So right. it's very conscientious. They s- sing this song like as they're doing it about like you know I'm I'm not here to hurt you. I'm like oh, you know, wow. uh, it's the honey kind of looks, it looks a little bit like this the color of this dirt soda, although not. Not the viscosity. Well, this dirt soda is actually really pretty. The color of it yeah. is garnet. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. It's very pretty to look at, mm-hmm. not good to eat. The honey <laughs> is probably really nice to eat. Yeah. And then very fun. Right. With the psychotropic properties. <laughs> um, so bees themselves can also be daredevils when it comes to getting a meal. They will get punched in the fl- face by flowers. Oh, okay. <laughs> punched in the face by flowers. <laughs> uh, so alfalfa leaf cutting bees are found all over the world, but they were introduced to the U.S., so they're not indigenous. Mm -hmm. 
um, and they were introduced to help with crops. Uh, they're solitary bees, so meaning they don't form colonies or store honey in honeycombs. Uh, they'll build their own individual nests and line them with the leaves that they've cut. Oh. Uh, so even though they're not social bees, mm -hmm. uh, they kind of, they're fine with each other. They're not like aggressive. So they, they just live in studio apartments. Exactly. In fact, farmers will sometimes make high-rise apartments for them out of styrofoam. Oh so they'll cut out little holes in styrofoam to house like, like hundreds of these bees. Uh, and they're just each in their little apartment and they wow. know where to go, where their babies are. Uh, they need them for alfalfa, and alfalfa is a major component in feeding cows and other livestock. Mm -hmm. uh, alfalfa flowers are really hard to pollinate. Uh, their pollen is deep inside the flower, and it's only released when the bee steps on what's called a keel petal, which is a spring-loaded petal that actually ejects pollen from the flower. So they step on the petal, and then this, like, this... Uh, this pollen column like shoots out of the flower oh, wow. and, and shoots out pollen. Um, and this is a normally a good strategy for the alfalfa because it launches the pollen onto the, the pollinator and gets mm -hmm. it all over. And it's a very effective way of distributing pollen and also uh, avoiding like self-pollination. But uh, alfalfa is also introduced to the U.S. So the, be the Western bees, the honeybees found here are really ginger and they're kind of weenies yeah. they don't they don't really want to be punched by a flower <laughs> so they've figured out how to like very carefully step around the the keel petal oh uh, so they don't get punched and then they sip honey from or the they sip the nectar like from the side of the flower um but leafcutter bees are some bad bitches right who, uh, they are really tough enough to take a flower punch to the face <laughs> um and uh so uh, and they, they'll just like, you, like you can see videos of it. I'll post a link where the bees just like get in and they like it punched in the face with pollen. They're just continue on. So there's no indication that it like startles them. They don't kind of go fly about. No, okay. no, they seem, they seem totally cool with it. They're, they're really in, they, they're, they kind of look a little more tankish. They're like sort of gray and black mm -hmm. and they're just, they look a little more bulky, a little, a little more, uh, sort of like these, uh these pro wrestler bees <laughs> like glow bees yes i love that because <laughs> uh, these are going to be females for the yeah. most part mm -hmm. um i just love that uh if these bees didn't weren't able to take a punch to the face from a flower like we probably wouldn't be able to have as much uh crop pollination of alfalfa in the u.s so it really does transform our our whole farming industry that's the kind of thing that people need to know about so that they can be actually concerned about bees dying off. Right, exactly. Yeah. Like if you if you, these bees aren't willing to get punched in the face, we will not have milk. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and ice cream. <laughs> yeah. Bees getting punched in the face equals having cheese. ice cream. Yeah, and ice cream. Yeah. We have to say ice cream because it has to be the thing people most want. Right. right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, I want to end the show with a listener question. So Brittany asks, uh, tapirs are my favorite animals, specifically Malayan tapirs. When I was, not tapirs, tapirs. Uh, when I was at the zoo recently, there was a tapir talk. The keeper told us that tapirs are known to climb trees, but I can't find any information on this at all. Also, tapirs could be on an episode for Cutest Babies. Unfortunately, you weren't on. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I actually didn't know whether this is true or not, although it seems improbable because tapirs, they basically they're large pig-shaped animals. Mm -hmm. um, they have these long snoots, which are actually a tiny prehensile trunk. 
Oh. They're found in the jungles and forests of South and Central America and Southeast Asia. Uh, they're actually not related to pegs as much as they are odd-toed ungulates. Uh, so they're related to zebras, rhinos, horses, and donkeys. They're about six feet long, 300 to 700 pounds. Ooh. They live up to 25 to 30 years. They're herbivores. Um, and as for being able to climb trees, I don't think they can climb trees like you would imagine like a, a monkey or a little bear or a jaguar climbing up a tree, like clambering up and like sitting on top of the tree and mm -hmm. being like, what now? <laughs> <laughs> um, but they can't, they are surprisingly athletic and agile. So they can kind of march their legs up the tree and then stand on their hind legs to reach the tallest leaves. So here's a picture of that. Oh. Uh, so, and then they can get those really high up leaves they, they can also swim really well, so they'll climb, and they can climb steep mountains. So so they're just athletes. They're athletes, yeah. Uh, so they, they are surprisingly agile on, like, these really steep mountains, like, like goats, mm -hmm. basically. So their diet is fruit, berries, and seeds, uh, and their dung actually is really good for saving the rainforest. So it contains a lot of undamaged seeds that can help replant uh, the Amazon rainforest, uh, especially because they like to go into parts of the rainforest that have been recently disturbed mm -hmm. uh, or deforested or burned where new growth is starting to come back because they like those like new tender leaves. And they poop there and they distribute uh, a lot of the seeds and then that, that can help uh, the biodiversity of the rainforest. They just sound like all Amazing. around great guys. And they're adorable. <laughs> they're adorable, especially the babies as, as the listener suggested. So they will also uh, sometimes push less sturdy trees over, like as they're sort of like rising up on their hind legs and putting their little forelegs on the tree, they will push it over. And mm -hmm. that's actually, even though it sounds destructive, it's actually very important uh, for other species because by lowering the leaves, it allows other species of animals to access them. So this helps the sambar deer, the barking deer, and chevrotains, which I'm so excited to talk about these because, uh, so on the show we've talked about dictics, which are adorable little tiny antelopes. Mm -hmm. Watch out, dictics! These chevrotains are even tinier. Oh my gosh. These are the smallest hooved animals in the world. Uh, they're also known as the mouse deer. Look at this little guy. They're oh, teeny tiny. I'm gonna freak out. They're like just. They're like a little bigger than a chihuahua. Oh They're my so tiny. I, I know everyone's been giving me dick dick pick picks, uh, which <laughs> has been great, but can we start the chevrotain train now? Because I want, now I want pictures of chevrotains because they are so cute. I'll, I'll include a link to some photos <laughs> of these guys. They're adorable. Um, and so that makes it, it's just so cute that like these big tapirs, it's like they lower, because the, otherwise these little guys couldn't reach these trees. Tapirs sound amazing. They're, They're my favorite wonderful. animal now. Yeah, they. Uh, I want there to be a Disney movie about a tapir and a chevrotain that team up and like, like the little guy. Maybe he has some special skills where yeah. he can help like the tapir and the tapir like lowers trees for him, like sort of a Milo and Otis situation. This is good. Get on that Disney. Yeah. Well, you need to get credit for it. I know, right? Yeah. Pay me the big bucks for mm -hmm. my chevrotain tapir story <laughs> called like uh, chevrotain. Train and tapir capers. <laughs> <laughs>
we'll still workshop that. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me.、Um, and thank you for trying the dirt soda. My pleasure.、Uh, do you got anything to plug?、Um, just my podcast. <laughs> I even know how to pronounce it. My <laughs> podcast, which is Smart Mouth, which is two words, which apparently some people. Smart Mouth. It. Yeah, Smart Mouth, <laughs> two words.、Um, I'm starting a newsletter at smartmouth.substack.com and、uh, it has an Instagram at Smart Mouth Podcast. Awesome.、Yeah. Um, you can find us on the internet,、uh, creaturefeaturepod.com, creaturefeaturepod on Instagram. Creature Feet Pod on Twitter, F E A T, not F E E T. That is never, never.、Uh, you can find me at Katie Golden, and of course, as always, at Pro Bird Rights, where I really fight for the important things in life, like bread access for birds. Don't actually feed birds bread, it's dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> It is the best Twitter account, though. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening.、Uh, if you're liking the podcast, please mash that subscribe. I don't, what is it on podcast? Rate it, subscribe it. Uh, like it. Yeah. We'll do all those do things. All, press the stars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>、uh, please do that.、Um, and you can catch us next Wednesday. Yay! Thank you. <laughs> Creature Feature is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And thanks to the Space Cossacks for their awesome song, Exolumina. You dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's certified natural health professional program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more. More info now. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.